okay, Orange County, we've got our ballots. It's time to vote. Please go to our website, ocballotguide.com. It's in the show notes, but it's ocballotguide.com. Share it with everyone you know, help inform voters, and let's elect great candidates to serve our community and take us in the right direction. ocballotguide.com. Return your ballots, drop them in a mailbox, put them in the mail, or vote at a vote center. June 7th is the deadline. Return those ballots, ocballotguide.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Volming, your host, and our June election series continues with Michelle Bell, candidate for Orange County Superior Court Judge, seat number 30. So Michelle is a commissioner for the Orange County Superior Court presiding on the central panel. Prior to her appointment, she worked for almost 14 years as a deputy public defender with the Orange County Public Defender's Office. During her tenure there, she held an assignment on the felony panel trial team, and she's a former board member of the Thurgood Marshall Bar Association. She'll talk about some of her community outreach um, there. The importance of mentors, encouraging people to dream bigger and pursue new opportunities. She'll talk about how being kind helps others, but also yourself. If you've got young kids, stay tuned for a book recommendation for you. Uh, And you'll learn how the Model UN and the Catholic Church recruited another would-be business leader into a life of public service. I'm excited for you to meet Michelle Bell. Let's get started. So welcome to A Slice of Orange, and I'm happy to introduce my listeners to Michelle Bell. She's Orange County Commissioner and running for Orange County Superior Court Judge. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and speak to your listeners. Absolutely. So let's start. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your personal story, why you chose to go to law school. Sure. Um, So I grew up in the late 70s, born in 77. Um, My dad is a Panamanian immigrant. Uh, He immigrated to New York and my mom is a first generation Italian American. Um, And so they met in New York and um, got together at a time in our society where biracial marriages were not very well accepted by, you know, the community. It was um, only a few years after Loving versus Virginia, which basically allowed interracial couples to legally be married. I believe Loving was in 67. Um, So that just gives you some some sort of time frame. So, um, you know, my mom having the family that that she had that was very Italian, Catholic, um, everyone lived on the same street. You know, my grandfather, he immigrated um, after his middle brother emigrated, after the oldest brother emigrated. And right. so they just each that brought family, each other. Right. Yeah, very tight family. And um, she was disowned. And so um, when that happened, they moved to California, which is where um, I was raised and grew up uh, with my younger sister. But um, it was it was a really it was strange to um, not be aware of color and then become aware of color. Um, So many times when I would be somewhere just with my mom, because she was a teacher. And so like she spent the summers with us, you know, we were, we were with her a lot. And my dad, he has a labor background. He would work nights. And so we were with her all the time and the, Oh, that's your daughter, you know, was so, 
I, I just, I hear that. Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I still hear that. Oh, and um, yeah. we were very, very tight because, you know, it was hard for my parents, I think, to make friends. I'm um, sure. And, and my mom had a lot of situations where she would have friends and then they would meet her family and then they wouldn't be around anymore. And so, you know, yeah. um, all I, I love seeing today in the commercials, you know, the girls with the big curly hair, because I'm like, yes, you know, yes. but I, I didn't see that. And so right. it was interesting to navigate because even culturally, I mean, my dad's a Latino, you know, the food, the, the, the music, I mean, so much of it is different from just being an African-American here in the U.S. Correct. So, you know, navigating that, um, and, and, and at that time, we didn't even have words for it. Right. Right. I mean, people would ask me, are you mulatto? Uh, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, what are you is, is something that a lot of people What are ask. you? Where yeah. are you from? All mm-hmm. of these really hypercharged questions where there's just a whole universe in a word or a question. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I really gravitated just towards, um, taking people at face value, um, you know, just taking a lot of things in it, you know, I think growing up, um, I always just looked to commonalities I had with people based on interests, because, you know, if I, if I would join something like I, I joined the balsa in high school, you know, there'd be a conversation about my skin color being too light, you know, I mean, I've had such, you know, and and kids handle things differently, but, but it just was a good experience for me in the sense that it made me very open-minded. It made me very much just kind of take a lot of things in and, and try and find um, commonalities with people, look for the good in people, you know, um, and, and just be, it made me be very um, cognizant of not prejudging people. Right. And so, um, uh, you know, to, to bring a happier side to the story, my mom did reunify with her family. Um, probably when I was about seven or eight years old, I actually remember meeting my grandparents. Um, but still a lot of those underlying issues always kind of remained. Sure. Um, so that's kind of my personal background, but why I went to law school. So I had this theme in my life of, okay, well, um, let's look to things of interest for, for me. And, and I, I landed on, um, model UN in college and I I was a a business major. Um, I always thought I was going to get my MBA, but I met all these kids who just had this love of, of international politics and what was going mm-hmm. on. And we went to UN in, in New York and, and had, you know, a mock simulated sure. uh, event. And I just fell in love with this idea. I thought maybe I'd go to DC and be some sort of lobbyist. So I went to law school. And um, when I, when I started taking classes um, and my second year uh, tried out for moot court, I realized trials, uh, you know, this is something that I could see myself right. doing the litigation. And, and so I just kind of fell in love with it, but, um, that's how I landed on the law. Okay. 
Okay. And so you're serving on the bench as an Orange County Commissioner. And in a previous episode, I talked to Joe Dane, kind of talked about what that is and how you apply and the fact that the whole bench has to, you know, approve you. So there's, there's this kind of um, already endorsement of people choosing you for the job, but, but tell us how you were chosen, why you wanted to apply, and then also your experience as a deputy uh, public defender and how that prepared you to be a judge. So um, I think I'll work backwards. So with the public defender's office, sure. um, you know, I, I worked in the office for, for 13 and a half years and um, you know, because my mom had such a strong Catholic um, um, foundation and, and taught that to my sister and I, we went to parochial school for 12 years. Um, the idea of public service really was appealing to me when I um, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, and also had the component of trials that I loved so much from law school. Right. Um, and so you know, I, I didn't know one way or the other, you know, did I for sure want to be a public defender or for sure, did I want to be a prosecutor? And I actually had interviews at both, um, LADA and and Orange County public defender. And and I got hired at the Orange County public defender's office first and, um, just love the energy and the idea that I would be bringing dignity to someone, um, who was charged with a crime mm-hmm. and um, you know, the idea of, of the service involved in that, that, that it's not something that a lot of people um, think very positively about, you know, right. um, you know, that, right. that giving of service with my, my Catholic background just appealed to me personally on a fundamental level. Yeah. And so um, I started working, working at the public defender's office and, and through that experience, there's so much crossover with so many different types of, um, law, you know, there's crossover with family law and those domestic right. violence cases, um, you know, dependency related matters in reviewing records, um, and, and your client may having some history, uh, in dependency court, um, you know, there, there was the opportunity I had uh, working in probate. Um, I was the public defender that handled our collaborative court for the mentally ill. It's called Laura's Law. And yes. so if you have so many incarcerations um, due to your mental health or and or hospitalizations within a short period of time, county council comes in and they, um, they file a petition so you can be linked to services. And so I was the attorney that would represent the person um, being linked to services. And I learned so much about I'm sure. Um, and, and also just about healthcare agency and the services that it, it uh, provides and, and things about the public guardian and county council and conservatorships. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of knowledge that you kind of, um, uh, learn about when you sure. have that kind of assignment. So um, there, there was just so many different experiences I had, and you touch different kinds of, of law and, and areas of specialty when you're a deputy public defender. You're kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, uh-huh. you could you could have a gang case, you could have an arson case, you could have a homicide, um, nice. and so you know. 
at some point in my career, I would say after I, I had my first son, I just kind of took stock of where I was in my career. Um, and, and thought a lot about what I was, what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, two judges, uh, that have become very good friends of mine talked to me about applying to be a judge. And, um, I think it's so interesting. I, I think that a lot of times, especially women, they have this imposter syndrome. They don't think about their ability to do other things. And I, I thought, well, am I, am I, could I do that? Like, you right. know, would people take me seriously at this juncture in my career? You know, I had just hit uh, closer to 10 years of practice or it was about to, and they're like, it's the perfect time for you. You know how to do all these things, you know, think about it. And, and so I did and um, put in my application to the governor and um, it was the end of uh, uh, governor Brown's term. And so I made it through the local committee where they make calls, but then um, he, he left and then we have governor Newsom and then I reapplied. And so I actually have been seeking the process of appointment for the last few years. Um, and during that time applied to be a commissioner, um, which goes back to your original question. And so, you know, there was a recruitment and I had already done the judicial application, um, which was identical to the commissioner application. And um, I submitted it and I made it through the first round of interviews and they were very much in line with what you do for, for uh, the governor, right? Mm-hmm. They, the court has an executive committee. Each, each uh, group of judges based on their year of service has a band, they call it. And okay. so each band has a representative. And so the representatives for each band comprise the executive committee. And so they will initially vet all the candidates that apply. Um, They'll whittle down the list. Um, They make calls out to the community. They talk to each other. They call other lawyers. They try to figure out, you know, what's this person's reputation in the legal community. They ask, you know, feedback from court staff. How do they interact with with staff, um, all the stakeholders at the court, and then um, their interviews. And so... um, And that process seems so much better than randomly letting voters choose with almost no information based on yard signs. It's the election process is, um, you know, it's, it's what, what, uh, right. Our our laws allow for, right. It's correct. It's It's the system we have, but sometimes I wonder if it's the system we really want. Right. I know yeah. it, it seems very arbitrary, especially because people consider um, judicial races down ballot races where, you know, at the end, people are like, I don't know this person. I like the right. name check or. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I think what you shared about that idea as women is so true. We see it in research studies. We see it in academia that women tend not to apply for the reach schools unless a professor or a teacher comes and says this, this is absolutely within your reach. We see women and, and people of color in particular not apply for jobs unless they meet 100%, um, where, where more traditional uh, uh, folks will apply. I think white men will apply if they have meet 60% of a job requirements. And I see that with elected officials as well, that many of the women who come to my class and speak 
um, will say, it wasn't until somebody recruited me for this job. It wasn't until somebody validated that. And, and I think it's important then for us to really talk about that and to allow for people to step forward on their own, but also for us that we have an obligation to talk and, and reveal the potential of these folks in our life and in our community. I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, um, not to take away from the commissioner recruitment because I, you know, but, but, you know, a lot of things that I have done within the last few years is really get involved in, in outreach to law students. Um, because when I was going through school, there really weren't people that I knew that I could ask questions to, whether it was in undergrad or law school and, just having those resources, having people who will encourage you, people that you can go to to ask for questions, it's so helpful. And um, I find that traditionally women and um, particularly uh, people of color usually don't have those resources. And so yes. um, I was a, a member of Thurgood Marshall um, Bar Association, their board. And so I was the young lawyers chair for a few years. And it was so rewarding for me to make connections with students at UCI, um, at Chapman, at Trinity Law School, at Western State, you know, who, who didn't have those connections just to kind of encourage them. Um, And through my, um, through my participation with Orange County Bar Association, they have a diversity and inclusion committee. And so, um, the chair at the time, her name was May Sang, and she still she still is the chair. Um, but I had this idea of doing a mock interview event that would, you know, be an inclusive event for everyone, but you know, give a lot of students who might feel that they they didn't have the connections or know right. anyone the opportunity to meet lawyers, maybe in their practice area in the community that they could network with, you know, by having this experience. And so we built this mock interview program. This is our third year. Um, the last two years, uh, we we were in development. We had 70 participants year one and year two. Each person got two interviews. And that led to just connections, some job right. opportunities. You know, so I'm really excited about that. You know, that, that idea of connecting people, especially right. linking people to others where um, they wouldn't even know where to start. Absolutely. They don't know the questions to ask. Yeah. You know, we often talk about that. And, and and I have to give a shout out to the UCI. They have a pre-law program where community college students who think they might be interested in law school can go for the summer and meet lawyers like you and get those connections. And especially with, you know, human resources are, are great at interviews, but um, they, they, they often don't allow anybody to give honest feedback. And so a mock interview really does allow you to hone your skills and find out what you're doing wrong because it can sometimes be such an easy fix. And I've been on the other side of the, the, you know, being the interviewer and I'm like, oh, can I just help them? If I gave them five minutes of feedback, it doesn't betray any of the confidentiality of what's happening, but they would shine at the next interview. And so an experience like that is crucial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And and it's, it's in a setting where I think it, it's a safe space, you know, like right. we try and bring out um, yes. lawyers from the community who, who have diverse backgrounds, you know, um, yes. to kind of show everyone and showcase for everyone, you know, that, that 
there's there's a lot of us in in the community that yeah. you might not be aware are are there, right? And and if if you are elected, you would be the first Black Latina judge in Orange County. And and I know the importance of that representation to my students who want to see themselves, you know, in elected office on the bench in career paths that they're looking for. We you know somebody famous said if you if you can see it you can become it. Um, what does it mean to you? Is that a heavy mantle to carry to to you know to represent that, or does it make you really proud to be able to represent that for people in the community, or um, both, or all? <laughs> I don't. I don't feel like it's a a burden in any way. It's an honor. It's a privilege um, that I've come to this juncture in my career where I've been able to do this and and represent. Um, you know, people who look like me, but also just have the opportunity to serve our public because that that's the number one for me. Um, you know, I met someone during my campaign and um, she's in high school and her mom brought her to one of my events and she cried because I looked like her and it was so touching um, to have that experience because sometimes you forget, you know, you just get so caught up in what you're doing right. and, and what, what you're, you're um, advocating for trying to achieve that you um, forget about that. And it just was a great reminder um, that I could potentially influence someone in a positive way just by doing what I'm doing. So um, Absolutely. it's, it's interesting that in 2022, we're still having so many firsts but I'm honored to be a first and um, just want to be another face of the court. Uh, like I am now, you know, when I, when right. I come out to my courtroom and I have an audience, um, I think people, you can see their reaction sometimes because they're, I'm not what you expect, right? I've got the big hair and um, you know, I'm, I'm younger. Um, I'm 44 right. <laughs> um, right. and I'm a woman and um, I'm a person of color. And so they're like, Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's uh, a privilege to do what I do and, and have the, the trust and the confidence of my colleagues on the bench uh, to do the work. Yeah. And, and I, when I was talking to Scott Sanders, who's from the public defender's office currently and and your work there. Um, I've talked about Frank Hispino, who's the judge. Um, the seat that you're running is open because of his death in February. And, and he served as a public defender in Orange County and was so beloved and respected by so many in our community and, and definitely in courtrooms. What does it mean to you that this would be the seat that you represent? Um, it means a lot because I was exploring the appointment process. And so I have gone through um, I've, I've gone through the, the whole process and um, Frank Espino um, was a colleague and a friend and he was very encouraging of my application for appointment to the governor. And so um, he was someone that I leaned on. He was someone who gave me advice. He was someone who wrote a letter of recommendation for me and um, someone that I respected and admired um, along with so many others. And so, in the same grain when we lost him, I was not planning to run for election. And I got the push from other judges saying, you should do this. This right. is a way to honor him, but this is also something where you, you've worked hard 
you should do this. Why not? You know, think yes. about it. And so yes. again, it was a, a, a big push, but it was a great push because, you know, sometimes in life, um, you get encouragement and doors just kind of open and you say yes. And I said, yes. And through this process, I've met so many amazing people, but at the end of the day, I think, um, to Frank and, and, and for me, it's about public service. It's about, you know, letting people be heard. Um, even if they don't like the end result, everyone has due process here in our courts Mm -hmm. and, and feel like their voices matter. And, um, we are here to serve and, um, it's just an honor to fill his seat. That's really all I could say about that. Yeah, I think, and, and so many of the candidates that I've talked to, um, and, and that I've endorsed, uh, and really support and hope that people will vote for ha- have repeated the same ideas of public service, of the professional demeanor, of treating everybody in the courtroom with respect, of the humility of 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 taking on this incredible job. And and you know, even in, even when you talked about you know coming into your courtroom and making everyone there feel heard and respected, and and not everybody's going to you know, love the decisions that happen, um, but, but to feel hurt. Yeah. And, and I think that that is really important when we're looking at who to vote for. And I think too, I mean, with my background um, at the public defender's office, you know, if I, it's all about having, you know, help with your staff as well and having a relationship with your staff. And so my staff knows if I've got someone that enters my courtroom and they have children with them, I want to prioritize those cases. If, if there's someone who's um, not well and it's clear that they're not well or need assistance and they're with a family member, I want to know who those people are because we're, we're here to serve, right? And so uh, certain things just need to be prioritized. The court needs to be flexible and um it's important. You know, I, I tell people in the morning when I have an out of custody arraignment calendar, if you have a medical appointment, if you have childcare issues, if there's anything that I need to know, please tell my deputy, my deputy will let me know so mm-hmm. we can prioritize your matter. But it's just even that small gesture. I think it's huge. Really, it is, you know, it's huge. And so I just, and, and I don't, I don't think that that's something I would have heard, you know, 50 years ago. I don't think a single judge would have considered that. I think that there was a real difference in how judges used to approach their jobs and their courtrooms and they were the Kings and everyone was their subject. Um, and that when you came into their courtroom, it was their rules. And, and I love that I'm hearing these, these really humble, respectful tones of service. You know, and I think, I think too, that women being more involved in uh, the practice of law and, and um, even on the bench in our, in our County, I, I think only a third of our bench is, is female. And so women bring a whole host of perspectives. I went to this yeah. event a few weeks ago, it was hosted by the district attorney women's network and the association of inclusion, diversity, and equity at the DA's office. And so they had this event celebrating a hundred women, a hundred years of women practicing law in Orange County. Yes. And, you know, that was, that was the theme. It was a theme that women just, they bring so much more 
from their own perspectives, being mothers, you know, uh, and just having different, different ideas on things and, and how they navigate the world and see the world. It's so important to bring women on board. Well, and you mentioned the collaborative courts that you had worked with, and that was because of the women in, in our county that, that really wanted a holistic approach to, to people with mental illness, with addiction, to get them out of some of those courtrooms that didn't see them as full humans. And, and to talk about wraparound services with, with our county and our community services. So I think that you're right that, that we have been improved because we've had women on the bench. Absolutely. And um, speaking to our collaborative courts, I think they're really important. And I hope that, um, you know, we can continue to grow them because they do provide very integral services uh, within the county. And I think there's been so much change in our legislation that have um, impacted uh, collaborative courts and and, uh, certain diversion programs. Um, it's, it's, It's been really a great thing to see that we've been able to adopt uh, and adapt here in Orange County. Yeah. And I'll link in the show notes to, uh, there's a great TED talk by uh, Wendy Lindley, who was part of that. And and you can learn more about that. So back to your race, you you have the experience as a commissioner. Um, You are one of five candidates for this particular seat. And unless somebody wins a majority, it will go to a runoff with the top two. in November. And so with five candidates, it's more likely, obviously, than one of the seats that only has two where a majority will will win. How does that change how you have to campaign? Do you have to look at it as a marathon with kind of a two-step process? Or do you try to go all out and win the whole thing and be done? I think that's a really great question. What is campaigning like for a judge anyway? It's so hard to get to the people who vote. I'm learning. Um, and I, I think that um, for this particular race, it's different because the seat opened very late. So I've been campaigning since early March. Um, and it's, it's, so it's only been a couple of months since I right. started campaigning. And so I don't think traditionally um, the, the strategy would be the same. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, sure. But the, 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 there's a couple people have been running for this for six years. Right. You know, yeah. I just, I, I had to catch up very quickly. And so sure. it was a matter of reaching out um, to certain groups and certain people and, and obtaining endorsements and, and trying to get the word out that way. Um, you know, but we're trying to campaign on a variety of fronts. Um, to get the word out, I think the biggest challenge for me is that people don't know what a commissioner does because there are so many types of commissioners. Um, and so what is a court commissioner? And so I think for me, um, given the support that I have, um, with the endorsements that I have, um, top two, and then, uh, getting the word out in full force (laughs) on a larger scale for November, um, and so there's just a variety of formats, but it really just boils down to the fundraising. Unfortunately, that's the biggest challenge, I think, with any judicial race or any race is it all takes money in order to win. Right. And so if I don't wind up obtaining a lot of support from a financial standpoint, it's really going to hinder the ability for me to campaign. Um, so we'll see. Right. 
and and you know, I, I say it all the time on the show that the, the judicial elections are the lowest of low information elections. Um, and and it's we're, we're forcing people who aren't politicians to campaign and to fundraise where we really want you to not have any conflicts of interest and to not indicate an ideology. And so it's it's a really complicated idea of we really don't want the best politician, but yeah. you have to campaign or else people won't know who you are. Um, and it's tough for voters to get information, which is why I'm so grateful for for you and some other candidates for coming on the show. And, and well, we're grateful and, for you having the show. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, and I just see see the 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 posts of um, from social media of just the the fundraisers and the meet and greets and the campaigning that people are trying to to help with, but it's just so difficult. And I can't imagine, you know, you're working full-time as a commissioner, you're a working mom. And then on top of that, why don't you add this full-time job of campaigning? Yeah. I'm not sleeping very much these days, Jody. I'll be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I've, I've had to take time off um, so I can take care right. of certain things, you know, right. on, on a variety of fronts. And so, um, you know, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint uh, for, for me. Uh, yeah. because my race won't be done in June. And um, I mean, it'd be nice to think that it would be. It would but... be wonderful, right. But I think that's a bad strategy. It's like, right. you know, entering right. a marathon and saying, I'm going to do this in 13 miles and then being shocked that you have to finish the other half. Right, exactly. So, yeah. um, you know, it's it's a challenge. Um, and I do have to, you know, keep in mind all the, the ethics and the canons that come into play being a, a judicial officer already. Right. Um, so are you more limited than other candidates because I you are a commissioner? So. I, I mean, I, they, they send you uh, rules and, and things of that yes. nature, but I I'm bound by other rules because I'm already a, on the bench. Right. So um, I, I think so, but I mean, mm -hmm. everyone's got their own opinion, right? Sure. Sure. We off, we don't often have this many races. So, uh, you know, it's it's a new kind of season for judicial elections in Orange County that it's not just one or two uh, and that there are nine with 24 candidates. And so we're, you know, a, a, a student just said, like, why am I seeing all of these signs? And I'm like, because it's not just two people. It's right. not just four people. It's 24 people trying to get your attention. Right. Um, and so I think that's kind of changed too with campaign strategies, at least in this particular race. I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see after June who's left and then figure out where we're going from there. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So at the end of the show, I ask people questions, get to know you a little bit personally. What's the best advice you've ever gotten or given? So the best advice I think I've heard, um, especially recently, it, it was a recent piece of advice and it was given uh, to a group by my my friend uh, May saying um, it's just to be kind and to pay it forward and um, doing positive things for other people just gives you endorphins it makes you happy you know yeah. and I think that right. if you focus on responding to people in kindness and and helpfulness, um, you'll just be so rewarded. And, and what she said just rang true to me because it's a thought that I've had, but I've never heard anyone say it. And when I look back to some of the friendships that I've made over the years, maybe they'd be unexpected friendships, but 
it all kind of uh, began from, from an act of kindness, you know, and that just connects people. It really does. It really does. And um, yeah, I think it's important to understand that, that you live in your brain and when you're kind, there's kindness inside. Yeah. What's a book you like to recommend to people? Um, it's, it's a, it's a mommy book. It's how to talk. So little kids will listen. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> Many friends of mine have, uh, chatted about that book. It, it has great positive parenting tips, um, that, that I've, I've tried to implement, um, you know, because these, these little humans that we're raising are people that have their yes. own opinions and thoughts and feelings. And so, I feel that when, um, you know, I talk to my boys in, in a, in a sweet way, in a way that, that shows I'm listening, they're more responsive. Yeah. That's a great book and, and good for all of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. To talk to all humans <laughs> that way, everybody. And is there a hopeful message you can share with the listeners? A hopeful message. Um, I think that we are in a very interesting time. I feel that, you know, our society is so divided um, for so many different reasons, but the best thing uh, about our judiciary and, and our courts is that it's nonpartisan. It is about fairness and access and everyone is important. Everyone's viewpoint matters. Mm. And so it's pure. Um, and so I think that's a positive message that, that very much is tailored to, to what I'm trying to achieve to be a, a member of this bench. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a, a judiciary for all, right. And, and so we all matter and that's why yeah. it's so important, um, what you're doing and, uh, you know, just to kind of help get the word out about each of the candidates. And and I'm just so appreciative of of the opportunity. Thank you, Jody. Yeah, absolutely. Who should we talk to next? That's a really good question. Well, have we spoken to, have we spoken to anyone at the Orange County Bar Association? Not yet. There are so many great- Except to ask when their ratings are coming out. (laughs) I'm waiting (laughs) for that too. I'm waiting for that too. You know what? Um, Third mention of today, May Sang. <laughs> she is an amazing woman. I met her a few years ago, started working with her to collaborate, and mm-hmm. we've become very good friends. And I think she that sounds amazing. She's a powerhouse and she she just is such a good person. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for listening to A Slice of Orange. I have an incredible production team that makes this possible. So thank you to executive producer Aaron Wadka, the season two editing team uh, that made us all better, Alexandria Kim and Sydney Gimple. And starting uh, for the end of season two and my season three uh, production crew, Jackson Henry. Thank you all. And thanks for listening.